never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to Neff Inspiration, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today's another fantastic day for an interview. And it's really beautiful because I've got a reverend, Cheryl Kincaid, with me. Cheryl is a woman who has felt the power of her religion, which helps her to go out there and do an amazing good. She has become an author, has written four books about her passion to give hope to others, especially to women. And what intrigues me most is her a quite clear and critical view of the, the principles that often are, are prominent in Christianity uh, and how they can at times be maybe misunderstood and maybe on purpose misused to keep especially women at a certain place um, of, of submission. And uh, this is an intriguing, intriguing topic. So today we will explore that a little bit more. Gerald, thank you so much for coming onto my show. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. Um, first of all, because I, I had to learn a little bit from you, um, what is the difference between a minister, a pastor, and a reverend? Well, when you're introducing them, you usually call the reverend, um, it's someone who has a master's degree. But if you think about it, it's not the person who's reverend, it's the message. So you say the reverend something, and the, the doesn't go to the person, it goes to the message they preach. So anyone who has been ordained by God, I think has right to the title. But when you write it down, uh, as far as protocol, usually a pastor is someone who doesn't have a master's, but might have a bachelor's and a reverend is someone who has a master's. But those terms can be interchanged depending upon the congregation. Right, 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 right. Oh, thank you very much for clarifying that. It was always a bit of a, of a mystery to me. And it's isn't it intriguing? So how far we have come? Because when you go back to the times of Jesus Christ, um, if two people came together to 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 practice Christianity, that was deemed a church. Uh, so from from the very basics to nowadays, quite maybe convoluted, quite quite extensive, um, extensive abstract um, institutions that that we go to to hear the message hopefully of love and the message of, of, of hope. Mm -hmm. um, Cheryl, how, I mean, were you always a religious woman? Did you, I, did, did you find Jesus early on in your life? I did actually. And it was kind of connected to my abuse. Um, I, I grew up in a home that was violent and I was violated at a very young age. And my parents were arguing about love what is love? And um, I had heard in Sunday school that if you die, you go to heaven. And I, I had equated love with sex or or my abuse. And so I decided to throw myself off a window sill. I was about seven. Um, and when I tried to get up from my bed, I felt a very warm hand on my stomach and heard a voice say, God is love. Um, and my life has been changed ever since then. I went to church the next day, told a Sunday school teacher. We prayed a prayer um, where I where I professed Christ as my Lord and Savior. So since that age, that's been my it's been my anchor. Um, to my surprise, as I grew up into my adult years, I had to deal with some of my abuse. 
And that was shocking to me because I thought that I could just spend the rest of my life trusting God and everything else would just flow into. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. You laugh because it's nice a common try. myth. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <it is. laughs> well, that's the, thought... the kind of, of cotton wool, the kind of candy floss uh, religion. Yeah. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Let's dance. Let's sing. And then the uh, perfect man would come up. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I did what a lot of girls do that have been abused. And statistically, it's not... Um, it's not unusual. I I was attracted to and attracted men who were manipulative and abusive. And I put up with it in the name of submission. I never married them, which I congratulate my younger self for not doing. Wow. Um, through this time, I was still, you know, working in the church and, and striving to be a minister. But um, really, and I started to get at night, I started to have nightmares and started to hear someone breathing that wasn't there. And First thought it was demons, tried to cast it out. It finally got to the point where I went to a therapist and it wasn't as if I had ever blocked the memory out. I just didn't thought it was revelant. But as I gave voice to it, um, the symptoms of PTSD um, soothed. And then I had to learn how to do all the basics, you know, mm-hmm. growing up in a family that was alcoholic and borderline homeless, how to, how to take care of my money, how to have friendships that had boundaries. Mm-hmm. How to have, I never had an addiction in my life per se, but I I was so ministered to by the 12 steps, um, just that my life had become so insane because I was carrying on the behavior of my parents. And it was, it was a little bit heartbreaking that not everyone in the church understood um, the 12 steps and understood what, what a role they'd been in my life. But um, I went to Debtors Anonymous to handle my money. I went to Adult Children of Alcoholics nice. to handle my nightmares and flashbacks and started to facilitate support groups for other women who were Christians, women of faith, who had suffered violence because I realized they were getting some very toxic, toxic advice from the church. And I wanted to say that you can maintain your relationship with Christ. He can still be your strength, but you can also stand up and walk away from violent relationships. And... Um, and, and if you walk away with some scars, don't beat yourself up over that. That just means you're human. <laughs> I mean, one of the great things I love about the story of Jesus' resurrection is that he keeps his scars. He keeps the nails prints in his hand. If you think about it, when he rose from the dead, he could have had that all erased. Um, he could have had a facelift and and thinned down and and the scars erased, but he comes down and he keeps his scars. Um, and he shows them to Thomas, who's a doubting. And in the book of Isaiah, it says, it's by his stripes, by his scars, we're healed. Um, we're healed. We have a wounded Savior. And I love that. I serve a wounded God. So I have my wounds, too. <laughs> and occasionally they bleed. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, but I, found, I found ways to, by embracing my humanity, my shortcomings, um, my strength and hope is not only in Christ Jesus, but it's also in recovery. Not all Christians understand that. Um, but I, I work toward a, a better um, existence here on this earth. Beautiful, beautiful. 
Now, there are so many important things you said in there. The first thing, the first thing I'd want to draw attention to is that not many people in your church um, accepted or or understood the twelve step program, and that's already a key message because a lot of people um, who are secular, who like me, are maybe a bit doubtful of the church, who maybe have suffered under a church which is part of their trauma um when they think about 12 steps oh no 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 that's a church program they ram god down my throat that's actually not true um whilst there are some some 12 step programs that are led by church and might have a stronger religious undertone in reality um the the original founder of the 12 step program of aa um was actually not religious um he was a very good salesman and he figured out that in the 1930s you need to put god in there um to be acceptable to have to, uh, to sell that to people in their belief systems and that was actually quite intriguing this information is not widely known uh, but there are letters from his wife later on who described very clearly the facts um mm-hmm. so therefore guys out there if you think at this moment oh, i want to seek help but aa that's this bloody church kind of thing Nah, the only reason that they are in a church hall or so is because that's the cheapest place that they can rent typically um so let's get that distinction out of the way having at the same token if you have already been touched by jesus christ if you are a believer then for sure there will be um some programs there that are really really uh down your alleyway so that's beautiful mm-hmm. now you you were thank you for being so transparent about your about your own story um were your parents christians yeah and i think that's that was the stumbling block for me both in my faith um for a long time until i got in the ministry and then you see it all the time yeah. um that someone you know, the, the gift of Christianity is, is if you profess with your heart and believe in it, if you profess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. So my dad, when he was in jail, did accept Christ. Um, one of the hardest thing that happened to me in my life is one day when I was preaching, um, when I was just in seminary, someone came up to me and he was trembling and he took my hand. He says, you preach like your father. And I pulled my hand away from him. It hurt me because I never got to see that side of him. When my dad was in jail, he was sober. The booze and drugs weren't there. And he flourished in his faith. Um, This is my coming to understand that alcoholism was a disease. When Mm -hmm. he came out, he he couldn't overcome the alcoholic addiction. And he went back not only to the alcohol, but to the abuse. But... There were things that, you know, genetics gave me that my dad had. So my dad had a testimony. And then then I became a pastor and realized it happens all the time. People have conversions, but life sometimes can just kick the stuff out of you. And um, there, by the grace of God, everyone can step into that hole of drug addiction and abuse. And sure enough, my dad stepped into it and my mom had emotional baggage, probably started when she was a child. Um, There were sometimes we had wonderful conversations about her faith and she was able to live it out. But when my dad came back, she just didn't have the ego strength to go on without joining him in his abuse. And so we still, we have a very conflicted relationship. 
um, I believe like John Bradshaw, and I've read many of his books, that you got to pass back or you pass it on. And there's some responsibility I have to give her for my childhood. Mm. And that's awkward for both of us and also for my brothers and sisters who still want to see her as a saintly woman. But um, every saint begins as a human being. And those were her human flaws, you know? Oh, please. And I, as a doctor, I see the best and the worst of humans. And I strongly have to say that there is not, I've never met a human where there is not a sinner deep inside. None. Never, yeah. ever. And uh, a lot of people try to be on the outside, the saints, and get maybe a lot of um, value. They define themselves by what they are doing. Look at me, what I'm doing for the church. Look at me, I'm an elder. Look at me, uh, etc. And then it's just, oh my goodness. And often there are false personas, just as much as many of us wear masks um, in our daily life, multiple masks, often without even knowing that you do it. Um, it is, I see that so much. So the sinner and the saint, um, is a beautiful, a beautiful, um, beautiful picture. I think that yin and yang, if you wanted to go towards more Buddhistic kind of principles, let's not forget that. And the moment we 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 accept that, then we can also address it. We can name it and then therefore tame it. But if you pretend that nothing is wrong, oh my goodness, then you're fighting a, a losing war. That's right. And this is what I try to tell my Christian friends who are frightened of AA is that it's based upon a biblical principle of confession, which is, a you know, the Bible says that we need to confess our sins one to another that we may be healed. Um, healing is found in confessing to another person your weakness hmm. and your strength and your hope. Um, and the the I think for a lot of Christians, they're frightened of the word higher power is there, but it sounds like you know the history. The reason why they used the word higher power is they didn't want theological arguments. Mm. And so you have a sense that that you let other people have their own higher power, but your higher power can be Christ. Um, they're just very good parenting rules of self-parenting, mm. I found. That's bizarre. I just had a breakthrough in my head here because... Um, I always looked at confession as a, mm, what the hell? Um, and then now when I'm actually thinking about it, to actually spell out something that you have done that actually makes it real. It's the first time that your ears hear it out of your own mouth. When I was in the first day in rehab or the first morning in rehab, uh, sitting around the the, the the circle and, hello, I'm John, I'm an alcoholic, hey, I'm Susie. Uh, I, I'm um, an addict. And then there was quiet. And I looked around, no shit, it's my turn. And I said, hey, I'm Stefan, I'm an alcoholic. And the moment I had said it out loud, I had never said that. I can't remember the next hour. It, it was just a roller coaster of emotion. But the power of spelling something out was, wow, un unbelievable for me. Um, and here you are, actually, uh, with a confession, um, are doing the same thing. Now, that's mind-blowing for me for a moment. But I mean, confession is really only something that is done in the Catholic Church, isn't it? 
Um, you know, it's it's done in the Protestant church and we confess to God. Right. But we also confess to each other and we do that in small groups. I mean, that's that's essentially what you have prayer meetings for is, is to confess your sins one to another. So we don't necessarily um, confess to a priest, but we confess one to another. Although I've been by enough deathbeds, I think I've done 45 funerals to know that even Protestants, before they die, they want to hear a clergy person say, your sins are forgiven. But for Protestants, <laughs> we're supposed to have a direct line and we're supposed to already know that. Right. So, yeah, yeah <laughs> we have confession in our church. Okay, which is actually beautiful because that's that's really step five. Uh, in the AA system, that yes, you <laughs> that you have got a uh, first you you do some brutal inventory and then you share those things with a person. Oh my goodness, <laughs> the parallels that I keep coming out here between Christianity and and a very healthy stepwise approach to deal with a crisis, which really is what the twelve step program is. Um, is actually quite quite mind blowing for me as a as a non believer. Uh, there you go. Uh, this is I love these interviews because I'm learning so much from it, <laughs> Gerald. You, <laughs> I'm grateful to you, and I hope that everyone out there listening can learn from from me. Numnut actually getting my mind opened. Um, so that's beautiful. But I mean, here you are. It's still coming back to you, Cheryl. You lived a life of trauma. Um, and you had probably the genetic um, the genetic makeup that makes it a bit more likely for you to follow in the footsteps of your parents. So, and uh, no doubt, sooner or later, you would have rebelled. What was your relationship with alcohol, your relationship with drugs? So I, I'm, I've always been very careful about it. I didn't really drink till I was 21, but I have lots of rules about it when I do. Um, I, I don't keep it in my home because I know I have the genetic makeup. Um, I think it's visited me more in poverty issues, um, in self-debting, which the 12 steps applies to as well, not taking care of myself physically all the time, mm. which ministers do all the time. But, um, I've, so learning to not be compulsive in my job, learning not to be compulsive in my, in, in, at work. Uh, taking time for myself. Yeah. I apply the 12 steps primarily with my anxiety, to be honest, uh, which I'm sure was one of the reasons my dad started to drink. Uh, Cause I know he had a traumatic childhood too. Um, he, I know there were times his mother locked him out of the house and he wandered the streets until it was late at, into the early morning hours. So he had his issues as well. Um, so yeah, those are pretty much my demons. I think one of the things that um, I think people talk about Facebook and how bad it is, but I think the gift of Facebook has been with my nieces and nephews is to be able to hear them talk about their demons and me, which we I don't think we do face to face and me to reply and for them to understand that this is in the family line. Um, this is something that we've all had to deal with. I guess my sister did Ancestry.com and we found out there was the town drunk that went back to 1860. So we're talking about a long line. So um, uh, proudly keeping the scepter. Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, no, that's fine. Uh, uh, that's so beautiful. I mean, but then again, um, only because you have got the genes. Uh, there, uh, yeah, okay. So what? Uh, there is something positive about 
being clear about your past and yes. the, the things that came down because now at least you know it and you can do something about it so whilst you were the child of an alcoholic and chaotic family um you maybe is that has that been also a blessing has that also been a strength because you have got the insight now that mm -hmm. You were set up to fail genetically. Um, at the same token, here you are, um, a reverend. You have written four books, which you would have never done had you not actually gone through that that traumatic upbringing. Is that fair yeah. for you to say? Yeah, I think this is why you have to embrace your past. I mean, like I told you the story of the man who said, you preach like your father as as horrible as my dad's actions were to me, he had some talents that he passed on to me. Um, the writing is in the family as well. So is painting. Um, you go back and the, the, the arts that I, that I live out in my life, they were inherited as well as they were nurtured. And so, yeah. And as a minister, most certainly, I think um, I'm able to, to not give pat answers as easy. I'm able to say, trust God, but understand that this is, there's some work that you got to do on your side. And there's just some questions that don't have answers to. And I understand your anger. I understand that you wanted God to prevent that from happening. Uh, um, I, and I can understand it because I've, I've sat, I've been in those shoes. I know what that feels like. And um, I, I know a lot of ministers that do carry that inside their ministry as well. I'm not the only one, but I, I've i made it my story that I preach from the pulpit because I know so many men and women need to hear it. Yeah. Um, so many people have been disempowered by poverty and by abuse that they need to hear that someone's been there and and they've they've overcome it. I think that's why Charles Dickens, I, one of my books is Hearing the Gospel Through Dickens, A Christmas Carol. That's why he wrote about the workhouses when his father was put into debtor's prison Charles Dickens supported the family by working in a bottle factory. And he had a little bit like David Copperfield's upbringing. And later as an adult, he um, worked um, vehemently against um, the poor laws that kept people in the poor house. And many of his books uh, come from his experience of the things he witnesses. They're not melodramas, they're things that he really saw. Mm -hmm. And the and the scars that poverty leaves, and how you never really quite get over it. And I think he was an example of a very rich man that had an impoverished child inside of him. But praise God, he used it to tell some wonderful stories <laughs> that we still have with us today. So yeah, it goes both ways. We we take our past and we and we use it to the best of our ability to redeem. Uh, and in my case, I really believe God has redeemed it um, to use it to 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 call other people to redemption and to wholeness. It's beautifully said. And I think if we can rephrase the trauma, if we can reframe it in in a in such a way that we understand it's an it's a ball of energy that is sitting inside of us. And that ball of energy needs to come out. 
so you can let it come out in in a completely uncontrolled way which then is is the anxiety which then is the the the, the all those those kind of feelings that maybe you do not like and that you want to drown or where you want to escape reality with whatever way you can do that let it be sex addiction let it be gambling let it be whatever it is um or you can harness that energy you can learn more about that energy know that it is there it drives you you can't get rid of it but you might as well harness it to do something good um use mm -hmm. it as the energy that pulls back your arrow um your bow and your arrow and you just need now to focus your aim at where do you want that energy to hit and i think that is the the power that so many of us find when we when we go through trauma and then post-traumatic growth so where we can actually learn who we want to be when we grow up and in which direction we want to move. So therefore, yes. nowadays, I, I am grateful for the trauma that has visited me and it keeps visiting me. I mean, it's 2022, 2023 have, have been a shit show. Oh my God. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anyone who has had a good time in the last 12 or 24 months. Um, so, but I, I see it as, as an opportunity to grow from now and then I fall back into the victim and want to roll curl up in a ball and, and just cry uh, that's okay there will be days like that some days I turn back to the survivor uh the ice cold guy who just has to make really ice cold decisions and I like the guy um he's very self-destructive at times so he can make the right decisions or you can say fuck it we have a drink uh, let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he, he, he's got a sharp sword and he just fiddles a lot with it. So uh, from now on, then he comes out uh, often in a good way. But we both have chosen to use the power of trauma to make a change, to be transparent. What does your congregation say? I mean, is in your sermons, do you use your transparency to bring messages home? Or is that something you don't really talk about and your role as a referent? I do. I talk about it and a lot because almost every congregation I've had, we, we've had members who have suffered with from addiction. Mm. And we certainly, you know, the statistics are one of our, out of every four women, some say one out of every three have been raped or molested. So um, I do talk about when you come to a place, and the Bible talks about it, by the way. There are women in the Bible that were abused. And the angel um, blesses one by the name of Hagar, um, that she can say that she saw God, which was something that would give her a lot of authority. And she, she runs from her abusive situation, and the angel says to her something a therapist would say, Hagar, where are you come from and where are you going? That's a powerful question to ask when you're leaving an abusive relationship. And he gives her um, tools. And the one of her tools is that she can say, um, I, I am seen by the God who sees me. God sees me. But um, I do talk about it, that there are some things you think that you never can go through and you're still going to have trauma in that. Um, and I, I talk about there's healing involved in, with Christ, but there's some wounds that don't get healed on this earth 
that we have to wait for them to be healed to when we get to heaven. And and that's a realistic way to live your life um, is to understand that there is some source that we contend with. And there's an example of Paul who had a thorn in the flesh and three times he prays, God, take it away. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my grace is made perfect in your weakness. And he says, therefore, I'll glory in my weakness that the power of the cross would rest upon me. So there's a, there's a whole Christian tradition that talks about weakness and weakness was strong. Sadly, I think in the last two decades, the positive thinkers have overcome the church with name it, claim it, grab it, nab it, and greediness. And I, I like most pastors, I grieve at that. That hasn't been the traditional message of Christianity, but it is now that you just, you can have anything you want, which sets people up for failure. Or when you accept Christ, everything will be perfect. The Cinderella story, <laughs> which sets people up for failure. Um, but healing is a process. It's a wonderful journey too. It's not a bad journey. It's a good journey. And um, you, yeah. Uh, you're quite right, though, but it is it is so important to to highlight that because here we're talking about principles of Christianity and the principles of a belief. Yet, uh, what we are dealing with is a church, which are human beings that uh, very often are very selfless and uh, are out there to to do the best. But they do the best in under their circumstances, with their own trauma, with their own background, and therefore maybe not as accepting to, for example, alcohol or addicts, etc. Because yeah. that might be actually be very close to their own life, uh, to their own demons. And a demons is a very bad, bad choice of words here, because a demon for you is probably something else than a demon for me. Um, so but it is. I understand how you're using it metaphorically. Yeah. That that. That it's a haunting. Alcoholism haunts you. Abuse haunts you. It's a haunting. And that's very real. <laughs> oh, hell yes. No, that's a very good point. Good point. Good similarity there. Oh. But let's let's focus on on we 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 have had such a powerful, powerful uh discussion here. But we both are all about hope. Uh we both mm -hmm. are about about showing that there is light at the end of the tunnel. We both mm -hmm. have been in the darkness. We both therefore appreciate the light so much. And that is that is where I, I get power from to persevere, even when, when things are not easy. Um, I still persevere because I know that the light is so beautiful and I want to share that. How can you share the light um, to with let's say a woman in your congregation who is the first time she walks in there uh probably still with a bit of a a, a light shadow there from the 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 shiner that is just uh the the, the, the hematoma that is just uh going away heavily mask <laughs> masked with with makeup um how can you tell such a woman who is in an abusive relationship with, let's say, I make it up now as a Christian, with a Christian um, who uses um, the words of the Bible against her. Yeah. 
I think, well, first of all, you do what any non-Christian would do. You you try your hardest to call the police and start legal proceedings. Um, and that's what all of us should do. I know most of us don't want to bring the law into, into play, but the laws are good laws. They're written for a reason. Um, so that's one of the first things I would try to do is get out of the violent situation. But help her to realize that she was created in God's image. Um, people always quote the scriptures that say that uh, Eve was taken from Adam. But, you know, in Revelation and Genesis 2, it says God created man in his image. Male and female, he made them. So, and the word for man is anthropos. That's humanity. Um, God created all of us in his image and that she can go directly to God. There's a horrible teaching in the church that doesn't have any basis in the Bible, but it came out in the 70s and it keeps a lot of women trapped. And thankfully, other Christians have seen it and have addressed it, but it's called the umbrella of authority. And it's the idea that your husband is some kind of covering or umbrella for you and God goes through your husband and you have to stay within the umbrella. There is nothing in scripture, nothing in scripture to support that. And it's, it is used against women. You know, that passage where, where wives are to be submissive to their husbands, that passage begins with be submissive one to another in Christ. That's so both of you are being submissive. It says wives, and it doesn't say submit, it says wives to your husband in the Greek, husbands as loving your wives. So husbands are supposed to love their wives, and in response to the love, the women are to receive it. But if that's broken, um, Jesus says, because the harshness of your hearts, God allowed for divorce. And there is nothing more harder in someone's heart than abuse. And so I think a lot of my message is that women can get out. And I met a lot of Christian women who've gotten out, but just felt guilty. And I try to relieve that guilt. Yeah. That um, one of the things Paul says, as much as it is possible, be at peace with all men. But the the scripture connotates that sometimes it's not possible and you have to get out. And in fact, the Bible gives us some, um, some empowering tools that says that we can cut off a violent relationship. Um, and, and Matthew 18, seven through nine, Jesus said that if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away for it's better for you to enter life injured or crippled, um, than have two hands and be thrown into a fire. And I don't think of anything. And that's a fire is an allusion to hell. I can't think of anything more hellish than a violent relationship. And you have every right to cut it off. In Ephesians 5, 10 through 10, it says that um, that if someone is, is doing unfruitful deeds of the dark, that you can expose them. So one of the bad theologies of this umbrella of authority that women must submit says that you can't betray him, you can't expose them. But I would disagree. Scripture says that you can expose them yeah. um, for what they are. And so the reality is, is that I think scripture gives us a lot of things to say to get out of the violence. I think the modern church has exalted the family to a position the Bible did not. And it's it's made it a little demigod. And there's a lot of women trying to make something work that doesn't work anymore. Um, and I would say men, too, that are in abusive relationships. But I, I often tell people God is in the healing. He's not in the abuse. Okay. When I was in a, um, when I was in between calls, I had to work for um, 
Kelly Services, which is a secretarial program in, in um, the United States. Yeah. And we were grading tests and all these computers, they were on these computers. We were grading elementary school tests. And the computers went down and there was a guy from Iraq next to me. And he told me this incredible story that has helped me a lot. He said that when he went to Iraq, before battle, they were all before they went to battle, there were all these conversions and all the chaplains came out and did all these baptisms. And he says, and the press was there to take pictures of them all. And he said, then in the middle of battle and the harshness of the battle, people started to question God. And they started to wear these signs on their heads that said, where is God? And, um, and he goes, and that's an important question. And I agreed, thinking he was asking it rhetorically. Um, and then, um, he said, but I want to know that. And he said it really loud. <laughs> he said, I want to know where is God. And at that time, the whole room went quiet and he had found out I was a minister and the boss came in. She says, well, the computers are up again, but I'll let you answer the question. <laughs> and I was scared because I really needed the job. It was a low paying job, but I needed to pay rent. I needed to buy groceries. Um, so I prayed and there was a man behind me that put his hand on my back and I sensed that he was praying for me. And I said, God's in the healing. He's not in the sin. He's in the healing. If you really just believe that the strongest survive, if evolution was true, the suffering in this world would not have bothered you. You would just say they're not strong enough. That's why they didn't survive. But it bothers you that people aren't treated well. Human beings have this peculiar notion that we ought to be treated well, and so should all other human beings. Uh, and I told him, I think that's a memory of Eden. You remember somehow cosmically when God walked in the cool of the day with his people and we were protected, that did not last. But that expectation that God will protect me, even if you don't believe in God, is there. You're angry at a God you don't believe in. That says something. There's an emotional investment. And I said, but God's in the healing. We don't know why he allows it, but we do know that he, that he heals it. And I talked at that time about Jesus having his scars. Oh. I think he carried that with him after his resurrection to let us know that in this world, as he says to Peter, you'll know tribulation. You're going to know trouble, but be not afraid for I have overcome the world. In other words, you can still find healing in me. And it may be healing that'll take a lifetime. I understand that, but it's there and it's there for um, people who want it. Beautiful. And I think that is the key thing, isn't it? Uh, it is the, the power, the privilege to heal, the privilege to take action, the privilege to make a choice because whatever has occurred in the past you can't do anything about it. It has occurred. But what you can make a difference where you can choose is right now how mm -hmm. you take action to either move yourself and grow into a person who you want to be or not do those actions and stay in maybe the pain that you're suffering from. But I think it's 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 listening to to your message that actually allows people to take action to to break free out of the stupor that they allowed themselves to be in and to figure out hang on what are actually 
the next steps. And while it's so easy to say, oh, there's nothing I can do, that's actually not true. That yeah. is so not true. You, there are a multitude of things you can do that make you stronger, that make you more resilient, that make you grow, make you learn. Maybe there's so much. And often the, the, the easiest thing is to actually just stop for a moment and feel the moment. Feel right now here what you're doing. Feel your hands touching the chair. Feeling yourself, feeling your breathing. Take a deep breath, deep, deep in, deep, deep out. And actually allow yourself to calm down. Mm -hmm. And by seeking that moment of privacy with yourself, your brain often comes up with good ideas. But we often keep ourselves so busy or try to escape our reality, that we don't hear the messages that are ready there. And you can argue to to the end of days, um, if these messages are put in through God or for the universe or through they just randomly arise, whatever they are, uh, wherever they come from, some of them are really good ideas. Um, and so maybe it is time that we actually just stop a bit and in in our madness in our mad lives um and typically i now would say you know all the bloody social media and we are we getting clued to our things uh but then you actually said a really nice thing about social media earlier on um that we can use it to our advantage and and see it in use in your way maybe a bit of a confession so to speak that or a, a shout for help maybe at times um, so there are actually some some benefits there, mm -hmm. but I think yeah, uh, it's 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 wonderful your message there that that you're saying, um, Cheryl. If people want to know more about you and more about your books, tell us a bit about your books, please. You have spent you you've put your heart into it. Uh, that's a book is always a labor of love. So tell yeah. us about your book. Well, the newest one is um, Forgotten Door Called Home. And mm -hmm. there, there's the cover. Yeah. And um, it's a, actually, it's a sequel to another book, but it can be read bef um, before the other book called Karen's Thorn. So there's it's this study of four women who are working out their own abuse issues and how their lives intersect. And um, it starts with Carrie and Lelone, two girls in foster care who are aging out of the program. And um, with it, we have Isabel, who um, owns a restaurant, and her mother, who's a Guatemalan refugee who's fleeing from abuse, from civil war, and um, Lelone's grandmother, Aniki, who's um, really dealing with generational abuse because of what happened to the indigenous people in Hawaii as Hawaii was taken over. So we have, we follow the faith journey of all these women struggling with their faith at different degrees and um, coming to a different conclusion. Um, each of them finding different conclusions and different ways of peace. So those are my two books. The other one I mentioned before is Hearing the Gospel Through Dickens, A Christmas Carol. And I suggest that Dickens wrote it, that each of the ghosts which haunts him it are um, connected to the lessons of Advent. And um, 
And Dickens wanted to take a message to the church because the church had something called the Sabbath laws where no one could work on the Sabbath, which was great if you were Lord and land and, and gentry. Uh-huh. But if you were servant, that was the only time you could buy groceries or you could enjoy yourself. Uh-huh. And so and uh, the other one was the corn tax that he was fighting. And it was in a debate in Parliament where people were talking about the corn tax and what it took um, what it did to the poor people that had to um, process the corn. And someone said about the children dying in the factories, are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? And he takes that line and puts it in, in Ebenezer. Ebenezer is the Hebrew word for the Lord has brought me thus far, um, puts in Ebenezer's mouth. And so Ebenezer is, is God's taking him on a journey. So and that one's only available through the publisher. All of them are available through um, my website, which is yeah. Rev, R-E-V, then my name, C-H-E-R-Y-L-K-I-N-C-A-I-D, CherylKincaid.com, uh, RevCherylKincaid.com. And uh, you can click on a link, and it'll take you to where you can buy each of the books. Brilliant. And guys, check down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast, because all the links are down there. And whilst you're down there, press the like and the subscribe button, and maybe share a thought or two uh, of what struck you as as most exciting or interesting in our interview. So that, that Cheryl and I get a bit of feedback there and see, um, see maybe that we have touched you, that we have uh, shared a bit with our passion, uh, shared the, the hope, because that's really what we are there for. Um, if mm-hmm. if two people like us have gone through, through quite a lot of darkness and now are out on the other side and are still healing, and this is an ongoing process, I don't think, Cheryl, <laughs> you will stop healing until until the end of the uh, of your days, your last breath, and mm-hmm. it will not be different for me. And don't get us wrong, we are we are not the super poster boy and girl of healing. We, it's a meandering path, and from now and then I fall off the path. Um, uh, from now and then I make mistakes. From now and then I, um. Uh, lose myself and I lose the energy and I lose the hope and that's okay but it is it is so important to to regroup at times and believe in yourself and once you do that once you once you start taking again those basic actions to look after yourself then you can get stronger then you suddenly change from victim to the model for others and your behavior shines a light into the darkness of others and that's that's where the the, the beauty of of this journey is cheryl you're an amazing woman thank you so much for coming on to my show thank you so much for being so transparent so authentic so humble uh <laughs> but also so passionate about your message uh i love your passion I I can't wait to see where the the Cheryl will go in a year's time or in in <laughs> we are all uh, developing so wonderful. Have you figured out who you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just continue to grow into what God's creating in me. Oh, there were two children's books I forgot to mention. One's called oh. The Little Clay Pot about a pot being created, and the other one's The Little Candle that was frightened of the dark. 
And they're Aww. both on the website as well. Oh, beautiful. Guys, go down there, check the website out, check Cheryl out, and please go out there and make the most of this moment, of this time. Um, this is this is our gift to this world. We can make this world a better place by our actions. And I'm looking forward to do that today. So Cheryl, thank you so much for coming onto my show. Thanks for having me. I greatly, it's been a wonderful conversation. Brilliant. And you guys out there, live with passion. Bye. I never give up. I never give up. I never give up.